I am always fascinated by the vestiges of Christianity and of faith and and religion that continue to be within a culture that has sort of secularized or become less religious. Words that we use to show something we used to think and we used to talk about that we don't talk about publicly anymore. Uh, It's kind of like an appendix. Doctors are still fighting about whether your appendix actually does anything anymore or not. But for a long time, we believed that the appendix had become useless, but it was still in our bodies just to give us appendicitis. And um, that, that, that was from a time when we used it, we don't use it anymore. One of those words that I find interesting that we've kept around is the word faith. The idea that uh, we would still use that in our culture. I was hoping there was a few of you that grew up in the 80s that found that amusing. The idea is uh, we still talk about faith publicly. Usually it happens in a context like this. You're trying to apply to a new school or you're trying to get a new job and you're feeling down about it. You go, I'm not going to get that. And somebody goes, hey, have a little faith. Right? The other one that we hear a lot is when my, um, my abilities are being doubted. I'll say, oh, someone will say, oh, I don't think you'll get that done in time. I say what? Oh, ye of little faith. Right? And it's interesting because, oh, ye of little faith, the ye is a little clue. That's a Bible verse, right? That's the only way we use ye is because it's a very biblical idea. And we've used it largely to talk about um, self-doubt. We use faith as a way to tell people not to look down upon themselves or their prospects, but to trust that good things are going to happen to them. When we started this series on miracles... One of the things that we talked about, that I talked about, was that as a preacher, miracles scare us because I really worry about writing checks that I can't cash. When we get serious about God working in our world, and not only working in our world, but working in our world in a way that is amazing or unbelievable or logic-defying... The worry we have is that we set that expectation that God's going to do miracles and then a problem comes along and we pray for it and we ask for a miracle and then nothing happens for years and years and years. And I feel like a liar. I feel like I made God a liar. Like it just is a whole mess when we start to deal with the disappointment of when God does not act the way that we hope. And unfortunately, for many of us, that means that we just get to where we don't ask anymore. It's a lot easier to not ask for something amazing to happen than to ask for it and then be disappointed when it doesn't. Some of you have gotten this way about Christmas presents, right? I just assume it's going to be tube socks, and if it's anything other than tube socks, I will be ecstatic. It's just the low expectation games. Life will not be bad if I assume it will be terrible. (laughs) And I wanted to read a story today that is a man that is in that place. Um, I read through this several times while thinking about what sermons I would preach through this series. And every time I read it, I said, I'm going to skip this one because it's short and it's small and there's not enough to create a sermon about. Some of you will find that shocking by the time we're done today. But originally I thought, no, there's just not enough here. But there is just a bit of honesty in this that is so incredible that I felt like I couldn't help but talk about it a little bit. Mark 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged Jesus on his knees. 
If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now that's the phrase I want to talk about for a minute. If you are willing. I can only imagine the experience that this man has had with leprosy. Uh, If you don't know, there's a big debate by Bible scholars over what leprosy really is. Uh, We have a modern disease called leprosy that's really gross and you've probably seen terrible pictures of on the internet where like body parts fall off and stuff like a bacterial disease that starts to eat away your flesh. Uh, Apparently it's less falling off and more that your body just starts to reabsorb some of the um, flesh that it has as it gets sick and dying. It's really gross and terrible. Uh, We don't know if this is what they had in ancient times. There's a growing thought amongst Bible scholars that when you see leprosy, particularly in the Hebrew scriptures, it refers to any skin condition which would make you look different than someone else. All the way from cosmetic ones to ones like what we call leprosy that are actual bacterial problematic things. And I can only imagine how it would feel like your life is falling apart if you have one of these diseases. On the, on the lesser side, if it really is just some kind of blemish or birthmark or something that makes you ceremonially unclean in Jewish culture, it doesn't matter. You're still not getting a job. No one's going to touch you. Your own family will not come close and embrace you. Living without physical touch is terrible for human beings. There's been incredible studies about what it does. What's it do? Uh, just, you just evolve. You, you need human touch. You psychologically start to um, have a sad affect. You become depressed. You can't interact with people. It just kind of destroys your psyche when you're not touched. Also, there's no, you know, the economic part. You're probably going to be a beggar where you're just hoping for someone to drop you change. You're not going to be able to get a job. Just terrible things. And then on top of it, if it was an actual disease that's causing physical ailments, to start to lose, slowly use the ability of your body. What we call leprosy causes eventually blindness and makes it so you can't walk anymore and all those kinds of things. And so you can understand this man feeling beaten down. If you're willing, we, only, we, we can only guess how many times he has prayed, God, please heal me of leprosy. And so we get why he goes, if you're willing. The story makes a really interesting turn. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Um, There's not a lot of great pictures online of Jesus indignant. Pop that into Google and believe it or not, that's not usually in the films, right? No one goes, we're going to make a movie about the angry Jesus. Jesus is always happy and friendly and nice. Uh, That indignant word is interesting. Bruce and I talked about uh, in Mark and how often Jesus is angry in the book of Mark. He's angry at everybody. He's angry at people who want to be healed by him. He's angry at his disciples. He's just constantly frustrated. And here it says he's indignant. Well, why is he indignant? I think he finds the question to be an assault on his character. If you're willing. Well, what kind of person do you think I am? I feel this some uh, with kids. Maybe you've had this experience if you've been a parent or an aunt or something like that. Um, Every once in a while, a child will be hiding something. Mm -hmm. What are you up to? Oh, Dad, I I just, I got a banana. 
And we're like, okay, you got a banana. What's the deal? And I go, what? okay, what, why did you feel the need to hide the banana from me? Oh, because I know how you guys are about us getting food, and I thought you'd be mad at me if you found out. What kind of monster am I? Yes, clearly we're starving you, right? Yes, I would be angry because I just want you to whittle away to nothing. And it's a healthy food. It's not even like they're sneaking chocolate. They're sneaking a fruit. And what the head, I thought you'd be angry at me. Yes, I'm a flaming rage monster that just goes off every time you get sustenance for yourself, right? Just so annoying. I mean, it's, my response is probably why they think I'd get angry at them. But anyways, there's, you know, like, you, you pull some out of their backpack and they got a grade that wasn't as good as you thought. And you're like, when is this from? Two months ago. Well, why didn't you share it with me two months ago? Because I thought you'd be angry. And that makes me angry. Because I'm a good dad. I love you. I care about you. You would ask for something you need and you think I'm going to be mad at you for it? And I think that is at the heart of Jesus. If I'm willing, no, I'm going to look at you and your suffering and your difficult spot in life, and I'm going to stick up my nose and be like, sorry, I can't be bothered today. It's like, do you know who I am? That is not the way I go about things. And so Jesus responds to this frustration that he's not happy with this man for the things that he is considering. But the reality is that this is the way we can be about things. That when life gets difficult, our immediate response is to go to the complaint box and let God know all the things that God doesn't do well. If I'm not healed, it's because God just doesn't like me the way he should. And it's a normal response, but it's common. How many times have you heard someone say, well, if God was all good and all powerful, why do bad things happen? And that's a legitimate like, philosophical debate, right? We all get but it is interesting that when something works out not the way we hope, our first gut response is, well, pff, that's God for you. What does it say about our hearts? What does it say about our minds? We have been taught that God, at God's core, is stingy and absent and uninterested in us. That is where that theology flows from. And I'm not blaming any of you. There's a bunch of guys like me in pulpits that have helped do that. There's a lot of us who've grown up in Bible classes and churches where that is who we were taught God was. And so you better mind your P's and Q's and do everything right because he is angry if you come up home with a B on your report card. And it shows this deep down thought, this deep down insecurity. If I really ask God to miraculously interfere with my life, he would say no because he just doesn't care. And that is at the heart of what this man is dealing with. And so we have to ask ourselves, what kind of God do we serve? This is a philosophical, theological question you have got to decide in your own mind. And it will affect how you pray. It will affect whether you come to church as much. It will affect whether you serve and whether you volunteer your time. It will affect how much money you give to church. It will affect everything. You have to ask yourself at your core, do I believe that when I ask God for something, that he is a good, kind parent who wants to give me the things that I need, or that he is an obtuse, angry being that sits in the clouds frustrated at me all day? And most of us think one or the other. 
and it deeply affects everything we do in our faith. Does God love me and welcome me, or is God unconcerned with me? Now, I know uh, what some of you are thinking. Some of you are immediately going, yeah, but I have had a thing that I've been praying about for a long time, and I have been asking, and it's still not fixed. So now it's all my fault? Okay, let's let God off the hook and blame me who's suffering, right? Some of us feel that way, and that's legitimate. So I want to spend a few minutes just unpacking, why do these things happen? Could the sermon be the why do good, bad things happen to good people sermon? Sure, kind of. But I want to unpack a few of the ways that this works uh, in a way, in a hope to kind of help us better understand who God is and what God desires for us. Uh, I need to say right now that what we're going to talk about is really complex. I'm going to give you a few ideas. If you take any one of these ideas and make it the only idea, it's going to sound horrendous. Okay? <laughs> I, seriously, I'm going to say four or five things, and if you take any of them as the thing, then I will be a total jerk in how I present this. But the reality is, it's complex, right? And they all are factors that have some role, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, one of them's here in Mark 6. He, again Jesus, could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Uh, just read that first little sentence bit again. He was unable to do any miracles at that place. Uh, for many of us, this is a very problematic, excuse me. Jesus was unable to do something. In fact, this is so embarrassing that Matthew and Luke, who have versions of this section of scripture, they get rid of the little part of Jesus being unable to do things. Uh, they, they make it something else because of how embarrassing it is to say Jesus couldn't do something. But Mark tells us that the lack of faith in a particular community made it impossible for Jesus to do anything. Now, this is really hard. This could quickly become victim-blaming, right? Once again, this is one of multiple factors. But the reality of it is there is a relationship between our faith and between the way God responds to our prayers. Flippant prayers or unexpected prayers just hit the ears of God in a different way than expected believing prayers. I really believe that. I don't know what else to do with the text. When we go, God, please help me in this, and we mean it, he hears our hearts. When we go, hey, listen, I know technically you're capable of doing this, you're not going to, but if you, you know, whatever, kind of want to, go ahead if you're willing. And imagine that. God goes, no, I'll skip this one, thanks very much. Like, it's a relational thing. If you come to God assuming that he'll be stingy and annoying, sometimes I think he goes, fine, have it your way. If you think I'm not going to help you out, I won't help you out. Now that may for us be like, well, God should not be so petty. Okay, you can feel that way. But we get it. I mean, again, we all know that with our friends. If our friends are like, well, Ray, I know you're going to say no, but if you could help me move, that'd be great. There's a little bit of us that are going to be like, no, I'm not going to help you. And so there's something about when we're closed off, when our hearts are, are captured up, when our requests come out of legitimate desire for help, but are sort of just like, that God goes, okay, fine, we're not going to do that then. And I do think that that plays a role. The other thing that is happening sometimes here is that we have to acknowledge that our suffering can be a good thing. 
If you have watched any Rocky movie ever, you know how it goes. He starts out and he's not doing well. And then he starts punching meat or chasing chickens or running up the steps. Uh, really, that's literally what happens in the movies, right? He punches meat, chases chickens, runs up the steps of a museum, and you see the pain and the, tar- the, the, the hard work he's doing, the training he's doing, and how that's preparing him mentally and physically to be able to take on the challenge he has. And that is the way sometimes life goes. Sometimes the bad thing we'd like God to take away, God goes, no, you really need this to toughen you up a little bit. You need this to help build your character. You need this to help you have some sort of resolve. And so when we say, are you willing? I'm willing, but you re- this is really good for you. This is better. Uh, and we understand this inherently. If you have someone at your office, if you work, or if you have someone at your school or somebody in your PTA, wherever, you have someone you know, and someone goes, that guy's never had to struggle for anything in his life. That's not a positive statement, right? Nobody says that. Everyone goes, oh, he is so blessed by God. Everybody goes, yeah, exactly. Because he's a jerk, right? He's not easy to deal with. He doesn't have any stick to He's never suffered anything. It's not a compliment. Because we all know that you have to suffer something in life to be able to deal with stuff. And so sometimes the suffering helps us uh, when things are bad. And this is, you know, it's a sliding scale. If your suffering is bringing you close to death, that's a little different than if you're like, man, I just don't have as much money as I'd like. And so there's a scale on how all of that works. Uh, Sometimes also there's just a lot of people involved. Uh, Whenever you see someone at the end of the Super Bowl, it's like, oh, God, thank you so much for, for blessing me with this victory. There's a guy in the other locker room who's dealing with the fact that he prayed for a win and didn't get it. Okay, if you prayed for that job and you got it, that means there's somebody else who prayed for that job who didn't get it. And it's just the reality of nature. And so, God, why weren't you willing to help? Well, I was, but just this guy needed it more. Or, the, you know, this person deserved it or whatever. Like there's, particularly when we live in a world with more and more and more and more Christian people, as we hope there would be, you're going to have more confliction when you ask about certain things to happen. This is really, just side note, I don't know if I should go here. Next time we have an election and you're praying really, really hard about a candidate winning or losing, there are people who are praying really, really hard that they will win or lose, right? If you're praying they win, somebody else is praying they'll lose. And you sit in the same room with them every once in a while. And so you just, we got to deal with that. Why, God? Well, because it's complex. He's got three billion people asking him for different things and sometimes conflict. But there's one more thing in this passage um, that I think is really interesting. Jesus sent him away. This is the man that's healed from leprosy at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Uh, this is a weird feature in Mark that if you ever do a Bible study, you will see. You guys have any questions? These question cards are great for those right there. So this is a, a thing that's often talked about in Bible studies. The messianic secret. And this is where Jesus heals people and Jesus doesn't ask them to share it. 
Right? Like you're expecting him to do the preacher things like, now that you've been blessed, go tell the world. Let's go evangelize everybody. But Jesus and Mark doesn't do that. He often says, don't tell anybody about this. And there's a couple different reasons for that. Um, one reason for that is because uh, Jesus sees this program of what God's doing. And this is for the, the Jewish people first, and then we'll expand to the Gentiles. And he doesn't want to jumpstart that too early. So sometimes the Messianic secret says, hold it back. Some of it's just practically what's going on right here. He goes, if you start blabbing your mouth about what I did, I'm not going to be able to do anything anymore. I'm not going to be able to buy a sandwich without 14 people surrounding me asking for healing. And there's just a pragmatic piece for it. And we see here that when this man doesn't do this, tells everybody about it, says now Jesus had to go out and live in the woods by himself, basically. Because there was nowhere else that he could go, nothing else that he could do. It's like the ancient paparazzi. And so then there is a violation of trust here, right? Jesus has done this thing, and he's asked, can you heal me? And Jesus says, yes. And then Jesus asks him, but please don't tell everybody about it. The man immediately ignores him. He immediately breaks the trust. See, sometimes when we ask for God to work in our lives, there needs to be a relationship that he can trust that we're going to do the right thing with it. Can you imagine how many people, if they were healed miraculously, would then become cult leaders that would go, I am the chosen of God, I was miraculously healed, and just start doing really destructive stuff? How many of us uh, are given blessings sometimes and just do bad stuff with the blessings? And so I think, you know, it's easy to look at this man as a sympathetic figure, but when he says, well, if you're willing... Jesus knows his heart and he goes, oh, this is a guy that has no gratefulness. He has no sense of who God is. He has no sense of responsibility. He just wants me to heal him and he's willing to try to get at me. If you're willing, becomes a dig. Like, hey, let me see if I can manipulate Jesus into doing this. And Jesus heals him anyways, and then immediately the guy goes out and acts in a crummy way. Doesn't respect Jesus' word. Doesn't respect what he asked him. And we can be the same way about that. It makes me think of um, a parent that maybe has an estranged child. A parent that has been trying to deal with a child, has made a lot of bad decisions, and they're really trying to work on a relationship where there's boundaries, but there's love. And the phone rings, and it's the child, and they pick it up, and they're asked a question. And they have to decide if they're going to give say yes or no. But it really depends on the question, Right? And they go, hey, listen, Dad, I was just in a car accident. Can you please come to see me at the hospital? Yeah. Hey, listen, I need a blood transfusion. I have a rare disease. Yeah. Hey, uh, can you borrow, can I borrow a thousand bucks? No. <laughs> right? Particularly depending on the history that this child has had. Uh, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to start a new business. I need you to co-sign on this loan for me. Depending on your experience with the child? No. Hey, I really would just like to get dinner with you more often so that we can get to know each other better. Yeah. Right? It's not that the parent doesn't love them. It's not that the parent's not willing to work with them. But some of those requests are positive requests that are going to build a good relationship and help that child to flourish. And some of those requests are traps where that child is going to hurt themselves. And so the parent has to decide which of these is that. I think our prayers work the same way. Where God goes, 
you don't know, but you're asking for something that's really bad for you. I got to know I can trust you with this. I have to know that you're going to help me. Even with this leper, how many people lived in those villages that never got access to Jesus because the village got so full of people that Jesus wasn't able to come into the village? Right? Like there's, there's other effects to these things. And so there's a trust thing. And the really cool thing about this is that this starts to work in a really healthy way. As we start to grow closer to God and start to earn God's trust by living the way that God wants us to, it starts to change our character and our requests get better. And he starts saying yes more because they're better requests and because he can trust us to do the right thing with what we requested. And then that, in turn, makes us more and more faithful and we ask more and more things and have more and more trust that he'll give them to us. And it just like it works really well together. It just starts to spiral up, so to speak. That it forms us. But there's some relation there. This is how I understand. There's these difficult scriptures that always bug us. And I will do whatever you ask me in my name, so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. Uh, another similar one. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say, it'll happen, and it will be done for them. We look at these and we're like, those are really big promises. I think I've believed, and I think I've trusted, and I don't often see mountains. But I think these passages are telling us about what it looks like as we grow and we mature in the Lord. That as we get further and further and further into where we trust God and we prove that he can trust us and we allow him to shape our hearts and our requests, the requests get better and we do better things when they're answered yes. And what he's talking about here is what happens at the full end of maturity, where we finally have got close enough to God and listen enough that he can trust us with incredible amounts of power. Because he knows that we'll use them well. It'd be my encouragement today for you to go ahead and um, think about this basic question that we posed. What do you think God is like? If you ask God for something, what do you think God's going to say? When God hears your prayers, do you assume that they are welcomed warmly or that they're coldly ignored? Maybe that's a spectrum. Where on that spectrum are you? I think what Jesus invites us to in this passage, don't say if I'm willing. I'm willing. Don't trust, don't doubt my character. There's other things going on and there's a lot of complications, but never doubt my character. Just come to me, spend time with me like a child spends time with a parent, and we'll work through it, and we'll get you what you need. Because I love you deeply. For some of you, you are already there. And this is just like embracing the warm hug that you live in all the time. I'm guessing there's a couple of you that have been Christians for a really, really long time, and you're still suspicious that he is cold and absent. And for some of us, we just, this is just the beginning of a journey. And we've got kind of God as the monster in the sky with lightning bolts. And you need to, for the first time, think about and consider, no, this is a loving parent that desires the best for me. I pray wherever you are in that, lean into it. Trust God. He is more than willing to give you everything you need in Jesus Christ.